Be seated. Several years ago, I used to teach Sunday school, and in the Sunday school classroom, there was a circular calendar. I think we have one upstairs as well, but it's the liturgical calendar. So each week, you would move the little arrow one spot further, and they were all color-coded, just like, you know, the, the church here is. And so in the summer, around this time, it was green, just like we are green today. And I remember as we moved the arrow, I asked all the children, they were like five or six, I said, does anyone know what the green represents? And very energetically, they all responded, Christmas! <laughs> Which, you know, to their credit, was very, a very nice reaction, lots of energy. But it was also wrong. <laughs> it is not Christmas in the middle of the summer. The, the green season after Pentecost, sometimes it's called ordinary time or common time, or as the godly play curriculum calls it, the green growing season. And I think that's my favorite one, the green growing season. A lot of times we associate the summer with vacation and being outdoors and grilling and all those things are good. But in the life of the church, we're sitting between Easter and Pentecost, the time when we're given resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit, and Advent, the time when we receive Christ. We're in that in-between season. We get to learn what those two things mean. We get to live into these realities. And this week, we're given a parable to help us learn. And I really enjoy parables. I think they're, they're a lot of fun. Because a lot of times when we want to teach someone something, instead of just giving them a lecture, we tell them a story. Stories are engaging, hopefully interesting. There's some characters that we grow to love or characters that we love to hate. And hopefully, at the end of a good story, after all the twists and turns, we come to some little nugget of truth. That whole journey was worth it after all, because now we have this amazing wisdom. But that's not usually how parables work. Usually, at the end of them, we're left scratching our heads, wondering, what on earth did I just read? One scholar says that we stand right before Jesus when reading his parables. And I love that because it shows that there's this intimacy to be hearing the same words that Jesus told us, the same words he wanted to teach us with. And so in today's parable, there are these two guys and they're arguing with one another. And so they think, well, let's turn to Jesus. He's a pretty smart guy. And he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And Jesus replies, why should I get between you guys? And he warns them against their wealth, and then he tells them a parable. 
There's this rich guy, and he has so many crops that he doesn't even know what to do with them. So he says, I will rip down my current storage system, build bigger ones, and I'll say to myself, hey, soul, you have ample goods. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And until now, everything in this parable seems to be going well. This guy is so wealthy that he's able to build bigger barns to store more wealth. And then, unfortunately for him, God enters the scene, shakes it up a little bit, and God says, you fool. What? I thought he was doing everything right. It sounds sensible to me, right? We're told to save. But when the rich man decides to become even better at saving by building bigger barns, God calls him a fool. And I think the key to unlocking this parable is found in the first instruction that this rich man says to himself. So he's kind of talking to himself in this passage, and he says to himself, relax, eat, drink, be merry, relax. As much as our society likes us to work, there's this pervasive attitude about relaxing. If you work hard enough, we're told, you deserve some self-care. Maybe a milkshake, or a face mask, or a nice dinner with your family. Some time to treat yourself. And I've always found this kind of funny, because you're caring for yourself, but it's really just so you can go and do more work. It's a trap. <laughs> if you continue to be busy, it prepares us to continue to be busy and work in this kind of exhausting cycle. So is Jesus saying that we can't relax? I don't know if it's that either. If we take a step back and look at what this rich man is relaxing in, he's relaxing in his own strength, his work, his power. He has so much extra that he builds bigger storage. And he thinks to himself, yeah, I did all this. I earned this. And in this setting, the setting of church that we all find ourselves in right now, we also have a word for the type of rest that we ought to be doing. It's Sabbath. It's a holy thing to rest, to set aside time. But time for what? Well, I think it's time for God and time to realize that we aren't God, that we aren't the ones that create. It's God who gives us the blessing, all of the blessings in life. It's time to realize that we aren't defined by work. Because the work we do is good, and it relates to this life. But Sabbath is something that helps connect us to eternal life. It connects us to the reality that, as Henry Nouwen says, we are not what we do, we are not what we have, we're not what others think of us. Coming home is claiming the truth that I am a beloved child of God. We no longer need to beg for permission from the world to exist. We claim this truth by setting aside time for holy rest, a time when we aren't 
focused on the grains or the barns or all of those to-do list things that nag at us. Rather, a time when we simply live into the reality that when God looks at you, God loves you. The point of Sabbath is not to better equip you to do more work. The point of the Sabbath is to help free you from a system that defines us by standards that aren't quite God's. I find this parable kind of funny at the end. It's right as the rich man is, I imagine him, kind of settling into his bubble bath, right? He's relaxing in his wealth. And right as he gets comfortable, God says, tonight you're going to die. It's news that might ruin, might ruin a relaxing session. But there's this emphasis on time here by God. This emphasis that time really matters, and what we do with it matters. And yeah, it's because we don't know how much time we have left or what the future holds. But time is also how we spend our values. And when we give it to God, we reorient our lives towards God. And I will say, full disclosure, that I'm probably just as guilty as others the next person for struggling with how to find the right time for God. For example, I am working on the Sabbath. <laughs> I work on Saturday and Sunday, depending on what Sabbath you observe. <laughs> what am I to do? <laughs> well, I don't think it's about legalism, about laws, about Saturday or Sunday, but I think it is about resting in God's provision. And this holy rest is actually a form of grace. It's a gift of God, from God, a gift we don't earn and we couldn't possibly repay. So I find other times for God, and maybe you do too. Maybe it's Saturday, maybe it's Sunday, maybe it's some other time. Maybe it's a time you have yet to determine. I think we can ask God what that could look like for us. I don't know the answer, but I think God does. How can we use our time for God, for Sabbath? We are not what we do. We are not what we have. We are not what others think of us. Coming home is claiming the truth that I am a beloved child of God. We no longer need to beg permission from the world to exist. Amen.